Well, it's wonderful to meet with you again. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your support. I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate the way that you have uh, been giving during this pandemic time. And I appreciate the way you've been flexible and adaptable. Um, obviously, things are different and, um, you know, we do what we can do and what we feel is right. And we really appreciate you going along with this. Thank you for your help and support in things. The fall festival was fantastic this year. We weren't real sure exactly how things would turn out. We weren't sure about participation from our church. Thank you for all of you who did. And we weren't sure about participation in the community. Would they be afraid of contracting the coronavirus and all of that, and yet they turned out, and it was really, really good. So thank you, and um, thank you for everybody who worked in that, and especially as I think about uh, Jason and Shanley and their leadership, and appreciate that very, very much. Um, appreciate all of you who have been doing things like coming to choir. It's been different working on Christmas music, but uh, that's a great blessing to know that People have been coming and coming faithfully and working hard on it. And so when we get all of that put together, um, it'll be great and we'll enjoy it a whole lot more. I was thinking um, the other day that uh, sometimes like going out to eat. When I was a kid, that was a real treat to ever go out to eat. We just didn't do it much and not very many people did. And uh, when we got a little older, you know, it's like, you know, well, I'm an adult now. I can eat out anytime I want to. And so we have. And uh, now we kind of uh, argue about, you know, where do you want to go eat? And sometimes you'll see a family, sometimes even out here in the church parking lot, you know, they're trying to decide where they're going to go to eat. And uh, sometimes if you could hear that conversation, I would imagine it's built around one person wants to go here, another person wants to go here. So many options and they can't really decide. There are also those times when you say, where do you want to go? What do you want to eat? And, you know, none of us are really all that hungry. We're not really desperate for food. And so uh, we don't really come up with anything. Oh, anything's fine. And my point in all of that is if you would ever do something like maybe go for a month and not eat out, all of a sudden when you do go out to eat, you say, wow, boy, this is really good because you've kind of had a, a break from it. You've had a fast from it. And I think that uh, that's what we're going to find out as we get through this pandemic time. We're kind of putting opening up uh, any more on hold. We've got Sunday school and children's church and Sunday morning going. And we're kind of watching it because the numbers around here are really um, going up high. We're setting some records according to the news today. And uh, so we want to, you know, take our foot off the gas just a little bit. But um, as we do that, we do it with the anticipation that when we open some things back up, as the Lord leads and as he gives us that opportunity. Can you imagine uh, how good it is metaphorically going to taste? How sweet it's going to be to be able to do that. And so uh, pray about that. Keep supporting and keep praying and uh, giving and all of those things. Invite people to church. Get to know uh, some new members. 
And when you see guests that are here, don't let all of this stuff make you, um, you know, withdraw and become unwelcoming or unfriendly. Obviously, uh, this is not the appropriate time to run up to a stranger and give them a hug or something like that. But uh, speak to them, talk to them, get to know them, invite them back. Uh, bring friends to church. We need to think more in terms of outreach and uh, bringing people to Sunday school, all of those kind of things. So very, very important. You can see that I've got on my uh, I Voted sticker. Uh, we are recording this on Election Day. I read, um, no, I didn't read, I heard uh, that 90% of Americans are highly anxious over the outcome of this particular election. You think? I mean, everybody's been telling us, whether you're on the right or the left, nobody is comfortable about all of this because we're all told this is the election that could be the demise of our republic and our constitution. You think that might shake you up just a little bit? Of course it does. We're living in times of high stress and high anxiety. And uh, it's not the first time, not the first time humans have been in this situation. You can imagine what it must have been like. Uh, some of you remember when uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed. What's going to happen? America's going to war and we were highly unprepared for war at that particular time. And uh, then you think about all of the ships, the naval power that we lost in the Pacific Fleet. I mean, that's got to be replaced, and we're already substandard in so many ways. Uh, we're coming out of a depression, and now all of a sudden we've got to get on a war footing. That, it, it was uh, frightening. It had to have been. You think about uh, what it must have been like when the shots were fired at Fort Sumter or on Fort Sumter to launch the uh, beginning of the American Civil War. Would the Union survive? Would the country survive? Who was going to win? What was going to be the outcome? I can imagine even after the war was over and when General Lee surrendered to General Grant, there was probably a lot of thinking, what are we going to do? How are we going to get the country back together? I mean, we look at it today and we kind of say, oh, we're more divided than ever. Well, I don't think you can say that and look honestly at the Civil War. They were literally divided, two nations having to come back together. And when the North defeated the South, there were many people on the North that wanted to punish the South. And then there were people like President Lincoln who wanted to welcome the South back and um, get things back together as brothers and do it as soon as possible. And can you imagine what it must have been like for the nation that the president who had led them through the war and through the, uh, the end of the war, the surrender of the South, then he's assassinated by um, John Wilkes Booth. Uh, we think about those things and realize we've kind of been here before. And it seems like in my lifetime, Almost every election since about 1980 has been called the most critical and pivotal election in our nation's history. It was live or die, sink or swim, survive or fail. 
And uh, I have been on the winning side of several elections, and that feels good. You feel like the nation's secure. You've done your part. I've been on the losing side, and guess what? We made it. We survived. We're still here. Now, I don't mean to downplay things because I really do believe that the threats against our nation are real and that there are people who want us to fall apart. Some of them are from other countries and they are contributing to and fueling things that are going on. And some of them, sadly, are people in our own nation that maybe they hate a candidate or they hate the president and they do it so much that they don't really care if everything collapses economically or you know even if the republic collapses or is changed in a way where we're unrecognizable um, we look at all of that and it causes anxiety I hope we vote right I hope my side wins I hope the people that we elect, if my side wins, I hope they do what they have promised to do. You get me. You know what I'm talking about on all of that. And I don't know, with social media, the internet, 24-hour news, all of that kind of stuff, I think all that does is just ramp up the anxiety levels. Well, when I think about what we might be going through, and what we're facing. I think about in the Bible how many times the people of Israel faced threats like that. I wonder how many times they faced things that seemed to be a real threat to their lifestyle, a real threat to even their very existence. And I think about what it must have been like to be a king in Israel or Judah as the case may be and I think about what it was like when you didn't have a term and uh, a, an election and a renewal and all of that it's a lifetime thing and what a king was like when they were young might be very different than what they're like when they're middle-aged and that might be very different than what they are like as they grow older as they grow feeble or did they ever have dementia or anything like that? Alzheimer's. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the nation as well as for the king himself? Well, you think about how do you become the successor to a king? Well, there's only one way that you uh, succeed a king, and that is the former king has to die or be deposed. And so sometimes in war, a king is taken off of his throne and imprisoned and someone else rules and reigns. Most of the time, the king would be assassinated or the king would die. And the king would die whether of natural causes or whether, again, by assassination, murder or something. Then someone else would take it over. How would you like to live like that? How would you like to live knowing that there were any number of people that wanted to take your place and they were willing to kill you to do it. And you would feel like every day, whether it's through war or whether it's through assassination, that your life was in peril. You think that might cause you some anxiety. Can you imagine thinking, since you are ruling and ruling not in a way where you have two houses of Congress and another branch of government to balance you. You know, when people talk about 
the United States government kind of being in gridlock. I'll be honest with you. That doesn't bother me just a whole lot. In fact, sometimes I like it when the two houses of Congress, you know, have some trouble. It ought to be hard to pass laws. It ought to be hard to change policies. And when you have the president that may or may not sign it or might veto it, or you have the Supreme Court that might overrule it or has to uh, do something with that, I think that's a good thing because like the founders, I believe in the depravity of man and I think you need that. Well, what if you were a king and the king had nothing like that at all. If the king said, I feel like going to war today, that's the law of the land. If the king says, I think we ought to attack from the south, that's the way it works. How would you like, first of all, to have that responsibility? That would be, uh, well, that's why Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors because kings didn't always do that. Sometimes they just went on a whim. And that uh, spicy pizza that they had the night before they went to bed could be the cause of their war strategy or economic policy or domestic policy or anything like that at all. How would you like to have that resting upon you and upon your shoulders and to feel that? Especially if you were a king who cared. Especially if you were a king who walked with God. Especially if you were a king who felt like you were a steward over the people of God and the land that God had given you through his covenant. And that is King David. And in Psalm 103, we're going to look at a few verses out of this. And I've entitled this, Make a Choice, Bless, Don't Stress. Because the very first verse here is a command that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, that's interesting. David is giving a command to himself, to himself. That's a good advice for us to follow, but it's actually not a command to the reader. It's a command to David himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That's a big statement for a king. For a king who normally would want glory for himself. For a king who wants everyone praising him, talking about him, building him up, exalting him. And David is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's, it's as if he's saying, no matter what everyone else is saying about you, when they come before you and say, O king, live forever, you're the greatest we've ever known. Well, first of all, David would have to keep in mind he's only the second king that Israel has ever had. There's not much to go on. And the first king was Saul. That's not really much to compare yourself to. And when he was thinking about that, he's probably got it in his mind. You might not ought to believe everything that people are saying about you because they probably want something. They probably need something from you. And they're probably not going to be honest so he says to himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then he changes it just a tad, and forget not all his benefits. David is reminding himself here, don't get too big for your britches. You're not the one who put yourself on the, on the throne, right? You're not the one 
who did any of this. I uh, heard a preacher say, I was listening to a sermon the other day, his teenage daughter, they were having one of those talks, you know, that you have to have. And uh, she said, kind of arrogantly, she goes, well, I didn't ask to be born into this family. And he looked at her and he said, well, if you had, the answer would have been no. Um, There's a lot uh, of truth in all of that, right? And David understood he's not the one. He didn't plan his life. He didn't plan uh, the way that he would be skilled and talented and be able to play the harp and compose songs. He didn't Uh, ever work it out where he would be a man of war or a wise leader or anything like that. I mean, David could have been born 50 years earlier and we never would have heard of him. He was born at the right time with the right skill set. Don't forget all of the benefits. Verse 3, he names some of them. Who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction... And who crowns you, not with a crown of gold like people do, but with loving kindness and tender mercies. A God who had every reason to crown David with wrath, to crown David with punishment, and to crown him with hell, and yet he didn't. Loving kindness and tender mercies. Those are covenant terms, by the way. Verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things. David recognized he was living differently than most of his people. He was living differently than the average Joe in Israel, wasn't he? He's the king. He can have anything he wants. And David is realizing during this moment of reflection that that all is by the good grace of God. And David's not entitled to it, and he doesn't deserve it. He's thinking thinking properly and thinking righteously about all of that, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, David has been through a lot of hard times already in his life. And as he thinks about these things, he realizes that life could have gone very differently for him. Shepherds did not normally get promoted the way David was promoted. Shepherds were looked down upon in that culture, and yet David had gone from the sheep uh, pasture to killing Goliath. That just doesn't happen. David goes from being the youngest and the overlooked of Jesse's sons. Remember when Samuel came to find a king, they didn't even consider David for it. And yet after he kills Goliath, he becomes King Saul's son-in-law. And he becomes a member of the military and a part of Saul's court. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And then you think about when Saul's wrath turned on David, uh, how often did Saul miss when he threw a spear? And I'm going to guess not often, but he did this time. And David's life was spared. And how often does a man who becomes an enemy of the king find in the king's son his best friend, and they make a covenant. That doesn't happen very often, but David had a covenant with Jonathan. How often is it that when the king is coming after you with all of his special forces, with all of his intelligence, and by that I mean 
like the CIA or something like that. How often do you escape in those situations? And yet David survived during all of that. And those are the times when David could have killed Saul, but he didn't. And David is understanding that the very fact that he is king and enjoying the good benefits of that, that comes from the gift of God. And talk about renewing your, your life and your energy and your strength like you did when you were young. That's what David is understanding. I've got a good life, a cushy life in some ways, and yet still a hard life. And a life with a lot of responsibility, but a life with a lot of blessings. And it's as if David is saying, and this is the message that comes to us, don't let this go to your head. This isn't normal. I thought often about American Christianity. We are so used to freedom. We are so used to our prosperity. We're so used to being able to, to vote. We're so used to being able to speak up about things and to give our opinion and even to give out the gospel and to understand that that's our right. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you thankful for people who fought, bled, and died so that you could have that right? Aren't you grateful for the wisdom of our founding fathers who put that as the first amendment, the very first amendment, the Bill of Rights to our Constitution is freedom of religion, freedom of speech, all of those things that go together. Aren't you grateful for that? But understand something. Please understand that in church history, this is not normal. You and I are not entitled to this just because we're Americans or just because we're 21st century believers. We don't deserve this any more than anyone else deserved what they got. People that were fed to lions, people that were imprisoned, people that have been tortured, people that have given their life for the cause of Christ. We don't deserve this. And so we dare not let it go to our head and we dare not take it for granted. I get a little aggravated at Christians who are way too pious and spiritual to vote. Don't you understand how this works? I get a little frustrated at people who don't really honor law enforcement or the rule of law or our military or those types of things. I don't understand that because don't you understand how this works? I get a little frustrated with Christians who are so arrogant that they think that whoever is um, in the White House, that they can talk down about them and not realize that the Bible tells us we are, even, even Peter told believers to honor the emperor Nero. Think about all of that. And when I see people that are not thankful and grateful for the freedom and the prosperity and the things that we have, I'm thinking, you know, you're too big for your bridges. You don't really understand what could happen and how things could be in your life. And that seems to be the context of what David is doing. He's reminding, he's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Don't get arrogant. God resists the proud, the Bible says, but he gives grace to the humble. Maybe this is why David received so much of the grace of God, because at the root of who he was, he was humble. Let's talk about it. Number one, understand 
that uh, this begins with the individual. You know, sometimes we blame the government for our problems. We blame other people. We blame the times. We blame situations. And yet, really, the truth of the matter is, it begins with us. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Not somebody else's soul. My soul. And all that is within, not you, but all that is within me, bless his holy name. So he is talking to himself. You know, that's usually thought of as being kind of crazy. But the truth is, we all talk to ourselves, don't we? We talk when we speak to ourselves. Now, in this case, if we are talking about the Lord and talking about all of that, we might feel a little silly, a little self-conscious and uh, say, well, I'm just not used to doing this. I get that. But you do talk to yourself. In fact, most of the time it is negative when something happens. I knew this was going to happen. You know, those kind of things. I could never do this or I'm incapable of doing this. Most of the time that's what happens. And most of the time there's some kind of a curse. There's some kind of a, a negative thing that said that actually is about the Lord, even though we may not be addressing the Lord We are frustrated with the way that we're made. We're frustrated with our inability. We're frustrated with what we can't do. We're angry and, uh, you know, all of that, depressed and disappointed, whatever it may be. And a lot of those things really, our bitterness is not really toward us or our circumstances. It's to the Lord of those circumstances. And David is saying, quit doing that kind of stuff and quit thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And do something, bless the Lord. And the word bless means to talk good about the Lord. This is the soul, not the outer part of you. Anybody can do it on the outside. David is saying this needs to come from the mind. It needs to come from the will and from the emotions. And it needs to include all of that because all that is in me, bless his holy name. So bless the Lord. Say good things about the Lord. Real corporate worship, when we gather, is really the collection of individual hearts expressing their uh, blessings of the Lord. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we preach. That's why we respond. All of that is to say good things about the Lord. And that ought to characterize our life and our work and our home, everything that we do. It begins with us. Secondly, notice that it requires thoughtful memory. Bless the Lord, he says, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, sometimes we forget what all God has done for us. And remembering, that's really what worship is, is remembering who God is and remembering what he has done. Talks about all his benefits, specific and thoughtful, remembering the things that God has done. In Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and following, when the uh, believers were commanded after the, uh, uh, um, the crippled beggar is healed at the uh, uh, beautiful gate, then uh, Peter is brought before the uh, Sanhedrin and they're commanded not to preach anymore and they're threatened, remember? And it says in Acts chapter 4 that when they were released, they went back to their Uh, Their friends, their brothers, they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Now listen to this. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth 
and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly... In this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats." You see, what they were doing is they were remembering God. They were saying good things about him. They were blessing him, and they were reciting his holy works, and they did that before they ever made their requests known to God. What were they doing? They were putting thing in, everything into perspective. He's a great God. He's a powerful God. He is a sovereign God. He's done mighty works. And they remembered all of that. And then they say, Lord, you did all of this great stuff from creation on down to even redemption. Now we've got this little problem. And that's really what it was. A little problem when you compare it to who God is and what he had done. Thirdly, notice that it values redemption. When David goes to verse 3 and he talks about the benefits of what God has done, he starts off with, who forgives all your iniquities. And then he says, who heals all your diseases. And this is a testimony, not a promise. David knew that the only reason he had a right relationship with God is because he had been forgiven. He was a sinner who needed atonement, who needed redemption. And he also physically had probably had many opportunities where he could have and should have been dead, but he was alive today because God had healed his diseases. He was the one who had been redeemed from destruction. Saul had been after him. He should have been dead. But here he is now, he is crowned with not just a crown of gold, but the loving kindness of God, and he has been satisfied with good things. There's probably a time out in those caves when David wondered if he would ever enjoy life again, and now he is enjoying life. And as good as all of these things are, notice that they begin with forgiveness. That's his testimony. That's where he stands. That's where he lives. God gave him health in spite of the hardship. And God brought him out of certain destruction from Saul. And God was the one that crowned him with much more than a crown of gold. So here he is with the blessing of life. And number four, it also gives a new start because that's what God is all about. When someone says that your youth is renewed like the eagle's, what is renewed youth? A new beginning, strength, energy. There were times when David felt like giving up. There were times when David wondered, is it worth it? There are times when David was tired. There were times when he'd been in battle and he was wounded and, and bleeding and he was sore and he was in pain. There were times when David emotionally must have thought, how long does this go on? But now he's on the throne He's enjoying the good things. He's enjoying the blessings. And his strength is renewed. He's got passion. He's got zeal. He's got excitement. He's planning for the future. 
He is doing all of these things because God has given him a brand new start. In spite of aging, in spite of his mistakes, in spite of hurts, in spite of betrayals, in spite of sin, God has renewed him with new strength and given a new beginning. So think about how God has blessed you individually. And now you should tell your soul to bless him. There's an awful lot to complain about. There's an awful lot that gets our attention that's negative. Stop it. Stop it. And tell your soul. Command your soul. Quit being negative. Quit being hurt. Quit seeing everything that you don't have. And start blessing the Lord. And don't forget his benefits. He's a good God. And that, my brother, that, my sister, will change your life and your testimony before a lost and dying world. You see, I voted today, and because it's still Tuesday, I have no idea who is going to win the presidency. But I do know this, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump, God will still be on the throne, still good, and there will still be reasons to bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy holy name and why don't you even do it now father as we close we do praise you and we do surrender to you and we do remember how you've answered our prayers how you've healed us how you brought us through difficulties we think about you as our creator our savior our sustainer we think about you as the one who lives within us the one who is coming back to get us the one who has taken away the sting of death and the one who has prepared a mansion for us in heaven Thank you so much. And even so, come Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. And thank you so much, so much for your time.